and welcome to Capstan Live. We're the podcast that makes sure you pay the real estate taxes you owe and not a dollar more. If you own commercial real estate or advise someone who does, you're in the right place for a real talk about maximizing tax savings. Hello, welcome to another episode of Capstan Live. I'm super excited to welcome two very special guests today. We haven't had them on the pod for a while, and I am honored that they made the time to join us again. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome Lindsay King and Carly Coker, two members of Capstan's incredible R&D Tax Credits Division. Lindsay, Carly, thank you guys for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having us. Having We're us. excited to be here. I know you guys are here with some big news and we appreciate you coming, even though it's so busy right now. So let me start by giving a big picture and then I need you gals to help me fill in the details for our listeners. So from what I understand, section 174 expenses, R&E expenses incurred after 12-31-2021 can no longer be deducted. They have to be amortized over five years or 15 years in the case of foreign R&E. This will require a change in accounting method, but for tax year 2022 only, taxpayers do get um, a little bit of a gift. They can file a written statement with their federal return instead of filing form 3115. Next year, tax year 2023 and beyond, then they have to go back to form 3115 and a modified 481A adjustment and all of that business. So this change, this mandatory amortization will result in a short-term increase in taxable income, but mitigating strategies are available. Would you say that's like a reasonable overview? Yes, I would say that's a reasonable overview. Excellent. Now let's break it down because, okay, that was the big picture, but I need to, to talk about this step-by-step step to really understand. So the first crucial thing we really have to 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 understand, to understand the impact of this, this legislation is the relationship between R&E, section 174, and R&D, section 41. Carly, shed some light on that, please. At first, I just was like, is that a typo? R&E, R&D, like, and then I was like, no, they're clearly two very, very different things. Please enlighten us. Sure. Yeah, no, it's it definitely gets a little convoluted um, because Section 41 is actually a subset of Section 174, but I'll break it down a little bit for you. Um, so a Section 41 expense is considered a research and development cost. So as we all know, that's going to be four types of costs. That's going to be wages, supplies, third-party contractors, and cloud hosting costs. So these are costs that are going to be actually integral to the research process. Now, Section 174 expenses are called research and experimentation costs, which in the actual tax code describes that as a R&D cost that is used in the experimental or laboratory sense. So all that to say in more layman's terms is Section 41 expenses are a are subset of 174 expenses. They are related, but the 174 expense is a much larger umbrella because it includes indirect costs in addition to direct costs, with the direct cost being a section 41 expense. Okay, I love that explanation. And I love that metaphor of the umbrella. It's a huge super umbrella and mm -hmm. lots of things are under that umbrella, including right. section 41 expenses, but exactly. also other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, 
Carly, so what kind of other stuff falls under that umbrella as Section 174 that's not Section 41? I know one, and that always sticks with me, is lawyer fees, right? <laughs> that's the one I always remember. Exactly. Yep, that one That one is definitely 174, but you cannot claim that as a Section right. 41. So um, I'll walk you through just a couple of these. Yes, please. Really, any indirect research expense that is generally more incidental to research is going to be a 174, but not a 41. So, for example, if you are using a facility or a building to perform research in, you probably are paying rent on that facility. You're going to be paying for utilities, phone mm-hmm. lines. Um, maybe you're going to be traveling for, you know, for your research process and you have associated travel costs. So those are actually going to be a 174 expense, but those are not qualified as a Section 41 expense. I see. So there's a lot of subtleties here. And actually, I know the R&D team right now is working on a graphic that's going to kind of depict this big umbrella and just kind of show how how the um, expenses break down. So listeners, keep your eyes out for that and we'll let you know when it's available. Um mm-hmm. But okay, so with that background, I think we're ready to tackle this this rev proc. But first, though, like, let's go back in time. Like, let's talk about the good old days. Like, how did things used to be? Like, before the TCJA, people could just do whatever they wanted with their 174 expenses, right? I mean, not whatever they wanted, but like, you know, they could they could deduct or they could amortize, right? It was a choice. That's correct. Yes. Okay. So 174 previously, you could either deduct or amortize over, you know, five years. But now there's no longer the choice. You're required to amortize these 174 expenses. Um, and an interesting thing as well is that some expenses used to be able to categorize that as a 162 expense. And that's no longer the case. If you have 174 expenses, you're required to claim those expenses and then to amortize them. So it's it's not only just a deduction or an amortization question, it's a requirement to file 174 expenses. That is hugely important. And I want to like clarify and emphasize, emphasize. Well, I do emphasize with these poor people, but I meant emphasize. I want to emphasize what you just said about people who were just you know, thinking that the, these things were 162 normal business expenses, da, 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 happy as clams. And suddenly they discover actually this stuff, not only is it not 162, it's 174. And now I have to amortize it. Like that's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it, Lindsay? It is. It's it's definitely not a favorable change, um, but it's the way that Congress decided they were going to try to do some budgeting and an expectation of income through this amortization of 174 expenses. And that's why that, that takes me back a second, too, because this is sort of a funky provision, like all the other TCJA provisions, or at least most of them took effect years ago, you know, but this guy had like kind of a delayed rollout for five years. And that was a budgetary thing. That's why they ha- they did it. That's correct. So effectively what the idea was is that they wanted to um, have an idea of what future income or or set a, a system up for income to come, so to speak, right? So they, they decided it was going to be at this 2022 tax year and that you had to amortize over five years instead of immediately deduct. 
which in turn increases someone's tax, which in turn increases the income coming from to, you know, the IRS to Ah. fund a variety of different things through Congress. So it's purely a budgetary, um, you know, delay and and set up so they could predict future income, so to speak. I mean, I guess it, it, look, it makes sense. I get why they did it, but I don't like it from a taxpayer's point of view. But there are things that we can do and we're going to get there. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer on this podcast. Um, so, you know, we are hoping it wouldn't go into effect at all, but here we are. So we have to like work with this, this reality and there are things that we can do. Um, but before we talk about what, what we can do, I want to um, point out there was a special note about software, right? Carly, I want to really point this, pull this out for the, the software folks, because this is something um, notable as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So there is, and I agree, software is huge nowadays, especially um, us. We work with a lot of startup you know, companies that are in the technical software development space. So the treatment of those types of software costs are also going to change under this new rule. So any software development expenses that are incurred in tax years after December 31st of 2021 are no longer deductible under Revenue Procedure 2000-50. Instead, they're going to fall under the you know the same umbrella as these 174 expenses, and they also now must be amortized. Oh, software friends, we're sorry. <laughs> we are sorry. That is we pretty, are sorry. Yes, <laughs> that is rough. That is rough. Okay, all right. But let, so now let's try to like be positive here and and talk about what we can do. And the IRS kind of gave us like a nice little gift. They were like, oh, like okay, at least we're gonna we're gonna mandate amortization, but we're gonna make it a little easier for you in in TY 2022. So this red proc is is pretty taxpayer friendly, right, Carly? Yeah. So you know, even though the actual change is a little bit unfavorable, they did help out taxpayers that are going to be making this change this year in 2022. So since this is going to be the first time most taxpayers are going to have to change their accounting method, the IRS is actually offering a shortcut that allows them to include a written statement with their original 2022 tax return indicating that they are now amortizing those Section 174 expenses in lieu of filing a full Form 3150. That's awesome. That is awesome. Mm -hmm. And that is a gift. That is a TY 2022 gift that expires, right? After TY 2022 in the future, you've got to go back to 3115s and the whole nine yards, right? So people should do this now. Wouldn't you Mm -hmm. say, Carly, like now's the time? Right, exactly right. So if you were to say skip this year and then begin, you know, amortizing your expenses, let's say next year in 2023, you are then going to be required to file that full form 3115, Ugh. which is a much more formal application to request a change in accounting method. And it's much more tedious than just a written statement you could include this year. Okay. And so what does that written statement need to say? Yeah. So there are some key pieces of information that the IRS has put out that they want to see on this written statement. So I'll walk you through those. Yeah, Um, please. Just very high level here. So that's going to be first is going to say first is going to be your name and your employer identification number or social Uh security number of that applicant. Second is going to be the beginning and ending dates of the year of change. So for most individuals, that's going to be this year. um, So tax year 2022. Um, Third is going to be the designated automatic accounting method change number for Mm. this change, number 265. 
Number four is going to be a description of the type of expenditures included in this change. And then number five is the amount of R&D expenditures paid or incurred by the applicant during the year of change. And then last, but certainly not least, is going to be that you have to include a declaration that the applicant is changing the method of accounting. And in that declaration, you also must state that they are making a change on a cutoff basis. Ah. So those are going to be the key piece of information that you're going to have to put into that statement with your tax returns. And that's actually not bad. Like, that's a pretty reasonable statement, you know, hits all the high points. And honestly, it was nice of the IRS to, to make it easier for people this this TY. I do appreciate mm -hmm. that. Okay. Um, okay, so now we understand the rev proc. So let's talk about the implications of this mandatory amortization. Lindsay, what are people seeing? What are people going to see? Like, wh what's the impact here? Yeah, so it's it's more of uh, a timing issue and okay. a front loading of tax issue at this point. So what's interesting is the way that it'll it'll set up is that initially there will be a higher taxable income for most companies in those years one and two. Um, there's going to be a higher tax burden for them because of this amortization. But the good news is, is that later on, years three, four, five, things start evening out and your tax uh -huh. burden actually decreases. Oh. And um, so it effectively does even out. You're not paying more taxes over time, but you're more paying more taxes upfront and it stair steps down to an even and less than taxable income, you know, threshold towards year five. So it's, it does, it does. And I want to repeat that loud and proud for those in the back. So you're not paying more in taxes overall. You're just paying it quicker. Is that, You're just paying it sooner, I guess. You know, front loading what you're paying. And by year three, you said most people will already be breaking even. Correct. Okay, okay. Um, and we touched on this earlier for a bit. But so I want to bring up those poor people who didn't even realize they had Section 174 expenses at all. And now they're like, hey, not only do I have these expenses, but I can't deduct them. Like, I have to amortize them. Like, I'm worried. These people, like, I'm worried the IRS will be like, oh, looking for this, like looking for people who didn't amortize. Is that like a valid concern? Yeah, absolutely it is. So it's no longer an option right. to essentially, you know, put an expense as a 162. You are required by law to file it as a 174 expense. So unfortunately, we do anticipate the IRS is going to be looking pretty closely at this to make sure that you are parsing that out correctly. Okay. Yeah. Listeners, we can't emphasize it enough. You got to do it. It is mandatory. We don't want you guys to get, you know, caught unawares. This is something really important that you need to be aware of. Um, and here's a crazy thought, Carly. Somebody said to me, well, what if I just don't take the R&D credit this year? What Can I just like stay under the radar that way? And that is a crazy suggestion, right? Mm -hmm. right. Okay, I thought so. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> yes, it is. And the R&D credit is really going to be more important now with this rule change than it ever has been. Um, and that's going to be for several reasons. But Really, if you were already taking the R&D credit in the past, you know, it is taken on an annual basis. Uh -huh. That means you've already essentially identified that you do have 174 expenses mm -hmm. because you know that you have 41 expenses. So there is no reason to just stop taking the credit because you're going to have to file and claim these 174 expenses anyway. 
Right. And really more importantly is the R&D credit is an excellent way to mitigate the impact of that additional tax that we are mentioning. So the R&D credit is actually going to remain a marginal value to taxpayers. So, you know, if they're going to have to amortize these expenses and pay more tax regardless, then they might as well take the credit to help reduce that impact. Oh, certainly. Certainly. Mm -hmm. Whoa, that is a huge take home message. Skipping Mm -hmm. it is a terrible idea. On the contrary, taking the credit is more useful than ever this year. Mm -hmm. Okay, that totally makes sense. Okay. Um, Are there any other mitigating strategies here? Like besides, you know, continuing to take their R&D tax credit as usual, is there anything else that people might be able to do to sort of like offset this increased tax liability? There are a few things that you could do. Um, For example, for uh, qualifying pass-through entities, there's the 199A Qualified Business Income Deduction. QBI. Um, I just like that acronym and I don't know why, but sorry, I had to pop it in. Sure. So so for those qualifying passive entities, they can deduct up to 20% of their QBI, which would certainly offset any additional mm. tax liability generated by this 174 amortization. That's, that's one example. Well, look, okay. It's mandatory. We got to do it, but there are ways that we can mitigate it. And this RevProc really is a gift. So I feel like I've learned a lot today. Um, okay. If people have more questions, if they want to talk to you about their specific situations, about R&D opportunities in general, how do they get in touch with you guys? I feel like the people are going to want to get in touch. How, how do they reach you, ladies? Absolutely. We're always happy to help answer any questions. Um, and we also have some tools that will be coming out soon, you know, charts and, and whatnot to give you a little bit more of a granular feel of how this is going to impact those expenses. Mm. Um, but if you guys want to get in touch with us, feel free to give us a call or send a quick email. Um, my email is L-K-I-N-G at capstantax.com. So Easy that's, enough. She's a queen yeah. and her last name is King, <laughs> Lindsay King, L-King at Capstan. And what about you, Carly? You also have an easy last name. Yeah, mine's just going to be C-C-O-K-E-R, C-Coker at capstantax.com. Pretty Adorable. simple. Easy, easy, easy mm-hmm. names. Yes. And these ladies really are here and available to discuss your personal situations and your facts and circumstances. Um So I got to thank them for their time because they are so busy, but they are so knowledgeable and they have both have such a way of of breaking things down for the listener. Ladies, thank you so much for making the time to help explain this big change to us. Thank you so much for having us. We appreciate it. Um, Listeners, if you enjoyed what you heard, why not subscribe? We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean. Just go to our website, capstantax.com slash podcasts. I'm Helena Carmel here with producer Aaron Strongen. Thanks so much for tuning into Capstan Live. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Capstan Live. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. Visit our website at capstantax.com for more info on everything we discussed today, plus breaking news, industry blogs, and more. Have a profitable day.